Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media, at Lion's Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. When you think about the words pleasure and power, what comes to mind? If you're a fan, you know my answer will always be the magic wand. As the world's first ever and best-selling massage wand, the magic wand's familiar shape and legendary power have made magic wand a cultural icon. Revered by millions, it transcends planes of culture and gender. Its impact is so great that Time Magazine included it on its list of the most influential gadgets of all time. Want to get in on the fun? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, board certified OBGYN, and you may know me from social media where I spend a lot of my time educating about everything reproductive health. This podcast is called Let's Talk About Down There, and that's what I'm doing. I am talking about down there with no shame, no stigma, a lot of fun, and a lot of education. And why? Because when we talk about these things, we educate and we empower ourselves. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them. So, you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, UberLube. UberLube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, UberLube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another amazing episode. I am jazzed that you're going to be hearing from Ambreen Molitor today. Uh, she is an amazing and talented leader at PPFA, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, who heads PPFA's digital learning tools, such as the period and birth control tracking app called Spot On, ROO, which is a sex ed chatbot for teens, and chat text, spelled C-H-A-T slash text, 
where trained health educators are available to answer your sexual health questions and help you come up with a plan. So cool. If you want to learn more about those tools and learn about them and use them, go to PlannedParenthood.org learn to learn more. And this is just a really, really interesting episode. We talk all about AI and its place in sex education. And we talk about the benefits of AI. We talk about if Ambreen has any skepticism around it uh, and what what that really looks like. And uh, I just really uh, thought she was so cool and was such a fan of her. Uh, Her job title is so neat. Um, You're going to hear her say this, but I just can't wait. Uh, It's the National Director of Innovation at Planned Parenthood Federation of America. So freaking cool. Uh, A couple little pieces of housekeeping before you hear from Ambreen. Uh, a little contest we're running if you like to win prizes, which of course you do. I would love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you email us screenshots of your rating and your review on both platforms, you will win a prize. So email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Don't forget both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And just a quick shout out to our sponsors. Uh, if you go to sexedwithdb.com slash discounts, you will find amazing, amazing products that you can get a fat discount code on uh, all products that I love and use. And uh, yeah, just love my sponsors. They allow me to do this full time as a job. And I'm just so grateful. Without further ado, Ambreen. Hello, Ambreen. How are you today? Hi, I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. Um, I did some exercising in the morning, which I don't usually do. I usually kind of am like procrastinating doing it until like the end of the day, but I, I started my day with it. So I'm feeling energized. That's great. I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, I brushed my hair this morning. So you did. And that's equally as important, I'd say, <laughs> confidence wise brushing your hair, exercising. Um, you, you know, my, went a little bit more. You're way more active, but yeah. Appreciate yeah, you know, I think hair hair brushing though is an important step. I think in starting the day, uh, but I'm really glad to meet you and really glad to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about your work as the National Director of Innovation at PPFA, which is the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Yeah. Um, so, in the five and a half years that I've been at Planned Parenthood, I've worked in innovation in different realms. Um, so I've had the pleasure of working directly with incredible people on products like our website that garner 200 million views annually. Um, what? That's a very high number. We need to really highlight that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have our chat service, which is this sort of hybrid service that offers AI and trained educators to answer sexual health education questions. Um, it, it's about anywhere from 400 to 700,000 people annually. Um, and this product is offered anonymously, free, um, and very much you know, accessible to all. And then finally, I also uh, work with a team that oversees Spud On, which is our period and birth control tracking app. That's had about two and a half million downloads, um, and it's available both in English and Spanish. And so together, all of these things, um, these products bring close to 2 million people to book an appointment on our site to a a Planned Parenthood health center. 
Wow. Uh, what, how do you come up with the goals of like how many people kind of view these products and services and apps versus like they con- convert, right? It's called conversion in the biz. How do you convert people from uh, looking at something to actually working with a Planned Parenthood professional? Yeah. I mean, there's mo- most of that direction is actually we lean into whatever is most needed for the user. So sometimes folks come in and they just simply want to learn. And when it feels appropriate, we come in and say, you know, if there's something more that you need to learn about, you can do that with a, the, a clinician or a provider or healthcare professional. Um, so we're able to, within these, you know, um, experiences, whether you're like reading content on a website or tracking your period or menstrual cycle, um, or talking to an educator and have particular questions, we don't like, you know, pop out a banner and say, right now is the time <laughs> to book right. an It's very much more embedded um, very organically, very seamlessly into either a conversation or experience. Um, so we're very mindful of balancing, you know, the, the way of meeting people at the right moment and getting them to book an appointment and then not feeling so um, inauthentic when we do that too. It's a fine balance. Absolutely. I have to say the the way that you're describing your job very much is how I would have described my dream job like five years ago. <laughs> like you're living like my and many other people's actual dream. Like I got into sex ed and I was like, oh, I'm going to make like sex ed and work and do, you know, media stuff. I'm going to create videos and content and, uh, using AI and like figuring out how to reach people that way is so cool. Like, do you have a lot of clout in like your family and your friend circles? They think that you have the coolest job ever. Or is that just me? (laughs) Um, I think my parents are still struggling to figure out what I'm doing. Um, They're like, we're trying to understand. Yeah, They were like, there's tech and there's like care and there's Ambreen. She's some, she's doing something. Some combination of that is really just succeeding. I think in a very, you know, I think most of my family and and friends are just very proud that I'm, I found a a path from like being a tech nerd and found a home where a tech nerd can also be part of a movement. So I think that's, that's, I think the, the, in the fuzziest way, what I feel most people are excited and proud about. Um, I I don't know if they know the details as I'm, I'm telling you this, but yeah, in a high, in in the highest level, that's what they're excited that a tech nerd has a job here. So. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Tell me, tell me like how you got here. Like what, what got you into this work? Did you have kind of an aha moment where you were like, this is when I want to be in the field of sexual health, like coming from tech or tell me, tell me all about that. So my, my, sort of story is very, it came from a very personal narrative that got me here. Um, I had a myomectomy in my late 20s. And for folks um, that are listening and that don't know what it is, it's basically a surgical procedure that removes these benign tumors that are called fibroids. Um, and they oftentimes increase increase chances of infertility. So, you know, in my late 20s, getting pregnant wasn't like something that was top of mind for me then. But once I knew what was happening to my body, I was kind of like, oh, hell no. You know, I'm I'm going to be the most informed human about my reproductive Mm. health. And I wanted to make sure I was going to get pregnant on my own terms, Um, which I have, by the way. I'm a mom to a very sweet three-year-old boy. Congratulations. That's so sweet. (laughs) And my body was just, it was so healthy. And I was so happy throughout my entire, the entirety of my pregnancy. And I think 
a lot of that empowerment came from, and I, I'm just not even exaggerating when I say this, it was reading Planned Parenthood's website. It was mm-hmm. downloading spot on. So I was like our super user and I just love what was being built and I wanted to be a part of it. And so I wanted to help people in the same way that the organization was helping me, you know, when I was in this moment and, in, in, you know, in my early 20s, really understanding what empowerment means. And that is through like just knowing your body, just, you know, educating yourself. Um, the other thing is I've I also had an abortion and to have that right was life changing for me. Mm. Um you know, so casually all to say, <laughs> I'm in this fight for with Planned Parenthood for the long haul. I mean, a lot of what we bring, whether that be the services or the tools that we built, you know, were what, you know, made me plan my family and, you know, empower me throughout my journey. And so that's, that's my personal, you know, connection to Planned Parenthood and how I got really interested in figuring out a path towards how I could find a career here. That's very powerful. I don't think many people have as personal of a story. First of all, thank you for sharing. And I think the field of sexual and reproductive health is really unique in that sense. Like when we're talking about our bodies and our experiences and our relationships with ourselves and with other people, it can get really, really personal. And so it makes a lot of sense why it would feel so empowering, I imagine, for you to be a super user all the way to the person who's kind of running, you know, in charge of of these programs. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, yeah. Um, You said that much more eloquently, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I think you you basically you said that I just am kind of repeating, (laughs) but it, it just I just really relate with that. I think it a lot of people who come to this field come from personal experiences, whether that be from motherhood or pregnancy or birth control or abortion or STIs, whatever it is. And I think a lot of it comes from, at least from what I chat with guests about, I didn't have this as much as I wanted. Um, And in your case, you know, Planned Parenthood is amazing. I'm also a super user of Planned Parenthood site. As a sex educator, I use the content constantly and reference it. Um, And so I think it's really, really important yeah, just in general, that we kind of recognize that folks who are in this field, like a lot of us do have a personal connection to it. Yeah. And I think there's um, a connection to the curiosity, right? Like we want to dig deeper. And so I think that's the sort of um, similarity I find with my colleagues too, is we're just kind of going deeper into the why and like surface level isn't enough. So yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about the the way in which you design these these programs and products. So, you know, in doing some research on you, it seems like you and your team use human-centered design to build products. And I'm wondering if you can talk about a little bit more about your products and kind of a one-liner on each of them and and what what people use them for um, and what human-centered design actually looks like and how it's realized. Yeah. Maybe I could start by talking about what human-centered design is. And then maybe um, within that, I'll give like examples of how we do that in products and then I'll dig deeper. Um, So human-centered design has been a common approach in a lot of um, tech or design-driven organization. And it's the approach to designing usable and useful products. And you do that by focusing on what the user wants, what the user needs, and then you layer it on top with... um, with the with human factors, which we call usability in the solution, um, I think I used a lot of words that are like more tech speak, so I'll I'll translate them soon. <laughs> but um, 
bear with me here. So the, another way to describe it, it's often the antithesis of a business-centered design. So business-centered design is where the bottom line is revenue and the question is like, what's in it for the business? Hmm. Human-centered design says, what's actually best for our user? What does a user need? And inherently, the answer to that question brings revenue to an organization. So that it's sort of flipping the question of like, what's the bottom line? How are you going to make money? And you don't even ask that because inherently when you ask, what does the user really need and what are we going to do about it? That answer is the like same answer to the bottom line, but you're just actually putting the user's needs ahead of the business um, when asking that. So there's, there's, there's conversations around user needs and the usability piece. So I can give an example about what we mean when we talk about user needs. So Spot On, which is our period and birth control tracking app, um, and just I'm going to give a little bit of context so people you know can wrap their heads around the product. It's as I mentioned before, is our period and birth control tracking app, um, and the the way that it was built, we focused on user needs. So when we built it in 2016, there were already I want to say at that point maybe like dozens, if not hundreds, of period tracking apps already um, in the app stores. But a lot of people were sort of targeting it. Even still, if you look at the way that period tracking apps are advertised, they're talking about fertility, about getting pregnant. But what you miss out on is this opportunity to talk about why people wanted to track their periods um, and acknowledge that people were sexually active or wanted to track their periods and did not want to get pregnant. And so when we did that, you almost instantly, you know, the first year we had millions of downloads and a lot of people saying, you know, this is great. I, I have a lot of, I've seen a lot of period tr tracking apps. I've downloaded them myself, but you could tell they're catered towards someone that really wants to get pregnant. Mm. I don't. <laughs> I actually want to prevent pregnancy, but I still want to track my menstrual cycle, want to intake birth control. Um, I also want to just understand my body more. And so that was us kind of looking at the landscape and saying, okay, well, everyone's doing period tracking apps around fertility. But what we're hearing from the users is this would be cool if actually you had things that helped me not get pregnant, right? And so that's how we flipped the model. And to this day, we continue to get awards. I mean, I think it was like just this week, we um, we got like the five, six of the world's best period tracking apps. Um, wow. You know, we were mentioned as one of, the, we continue to get those awards. And it's always because we are thinking about, you know, a, a particular group of users where there are not a lot of period tracking apps that are focused on uh, pregnancy prevention, um, you know, and the other thing I said about human-centered design was the usability piece, right? So we say, how can we build something that has users front and center? And then we make sure that it's usable, essentially. And so the other example I can give you, and this is for our website, for our chatbot, um, even for Spot On, for us, usability means accessibility. That means for every digital product we build, we also think about the kinds of people um, that you know, kinds of information that people deserve and they're seeking about their sexual and reproductive health. So that means making sure our products are free. We try to make it as accessible as possible and making sure that for as many products as we build, we can um, be able to, so our website and spot on, for example, are in Spanish. Um, and then we make sure we are doing a good job of talking in a way that feels very um accessible and it doesn't feel like you're talking to a doctor, but like if you engage with Rue, for example, it feels like a friend. If you engage with Spot On, it feels like an informed, you know, uh, 
uh, ally of yours versus you're talking to a doctor as well. So we we think about accessibility in many of those concepts, and that's where we you know sort of focus on usability, which is like, can someone get this? What are the barriers for someone to get this? And for us, it's cost. For us, sometimes it could be languages, and um, you know, there's a lot of conversation around stigma and shame, and we to, the way we combat that is thinking about tone and language as well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I am thinking a little bit about spot on as well. And, you know, after the Dobbs decision, right, and like after Roe v. Wade was overturned, I think I heard a lot of rumblings and saw a lot of rumblings on social media about period tracker apps and about people being worried about how their data was being leaked or used uh, potentially against them. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about data privacy with Spot On, because I think that folks listening, if you're in, you know, these spaces of sexual and reproductive health, that was very present for a lot of people. And I think that deterred a lot of people from uh, wanting to share that information. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those policies and, you know, data privacy. Yeah, um, well, I am. I won't get into the policies as much, but what I could tell you at a at a high level for first of all, this is a really good question. We get asked this all the time, and so I'm really happy that you asked that. I, I will say for spot on, you know, we built it as I mentioned many years ago, and we thought about data and privacy back then. And I remember people being like, "Oh, you're just being overly cautious. You don't need to do this." Um, spot on can be used. And people have been using our product for like over five years and they have never registered the account. We don't link it to social media mm. because it's free. You're not linking it to your bank account because, you know, so there's a lot mm. of opportunities for spot on um, that allows you to remain anonymous and we will never know. And we do not intend to like poke at it or do not want to know if that's not something you feel comfortable with. The other thing is, um, in terms of data and privacy, there are products, you know, social media is, is free. Um, but uh, the way that there there's an opportunity where people sell your data, we do, do not sell your data and don't ever intend to. So I think in terms of where Spot On stood in this moment when people were very afraid of what was happening um, in, in a post-ops world, we were okay. You know, we had a lot of downloads, a lot of appreciation because we already had built in all of these features and safeguards. We allow people to re- remain anonymous. We don't have many integrations that are needed. And so you are able to safely use your app, use the app um, as intended. The other thing I worry about just long-term about, you know, building this fear is we're just, you know, it is so important, as I just said in my personal narrative, to be empowered to know what is happening to your body and to not be able to track it or not be able to have a system in which you're trying to understand and learn about your body is is a loss of, you know, uh, allowing someone to feel empowered. Um, I think not being able to do that is also just a loss in women's health in general. And like, mm. you know, it's really important for everyone to be able to track their data in a meaningful way and feel totally. safe and empowered to do so. Yeah. The anonymity thing is huge. And like the, the, free thing, right? I think like most period apps aren't free, right? Like how could they be if their business model is to be able to survive where Plant Parenthood, you know, is this dynamite, really well-known hundred year old organization. And uh, that's amazing that you're able to keep it free. Yeah. We're a nonprofit. Our 
nonprofit. Yeah, nonprofit org. (laughs) Of course. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the most common questions that you get in, you know, whether that be, does spot on have like a question availability too, or is that just Rue and the chat text? Yeah, it's, it's with Rue and chat text. Those are our products. Cool. Yeah. So Rue is a sex ed chat bot for teens, but I've used it. Everyone can use it. You don't have to be a teen. Uh, And then there's chat text where trained health educators are available to answer your sexual health questions and help you come up with a plan. If you're listening, please remember Roo, R-O-O, and chat slash text. Refer everyone you know to these free resources because I feel like people would use them if they knew about them. And I think it's just important to try to get it out there to as many people as possible. So there's, I'll get off my soapbox now because these are very important, uh, important programs. But I'm wondering, what are the most common questions that you get? And then as a follow-up, I'd love for you to talk about how Gen Z how the younger generation, right? So teens, people in their early 20s are gaining access to sex ed info differently than maybe someone like me who's a millennial or Gen X or older generations. Yeah. Um, So the common questions we get uh, from Rue versus chat text, and just to kind of dig deeper about what Rue does versus what chat text does is, so Rue is, as you mentioned, is our AI powered chat bot. um, And it's designed to help teens, young adults, um, visit PlannedParenthood.org and get personalized sexual health questions instantly. And it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, And you're able to ask questions in a safe and anonymous way. So there's no sort of um, digital trace of the questions you're asking or the conversation you're having. Um, And Rue will answer all of those questions in a welcoming, non-judgmental tone. And the answers that Rue gives are actually oftentimes no longer than the size of a tweet. So 200 in character, 280 characters um, are roundabout. Um, and that's specifically designed so we can remain succinct and so that it's easy to consume, going back to you know usability um, and accessibility. So what's really interesting about Rue as as more users interact with Rue, it's going to evolve and it'll be able to answer even more questions on more topics and learn more about what people are looking for and how they ask questions online. And chat text is the component of Rue. So there's also um, contained within the conversation when you're having um, with Rue or, you know, just separately, there's an opportunity for you to um, talk to a, an educated, trained professional about the same sort of sexual health questions you have online. That's our chat text um, offering that we have. Um, And you could do that again through the website or you can text PP now to get those answers. And so from both sides to answer the question about what are the most common questions, Mm -hmm. this is going to be really fascinating. And so when we, when we looked at all of the questions that we were, we were, um, we were being asked, we looked at it and we sliced and diced it in so many different ways. We looked at it from location, suburbs versus urban uh, places, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, all remarkably the same. There was like no distinction between each. But when you um, sliced and diced it by age, there was a distinct differentiation um, amongst the common questions that were asked. So, yeah. So if you were younger than the age of 15, you were more concerned about your body and things that you were wanting to do or about to do. So questions around 
um, you know, what different terms mean, a lot of questions around puberty, and then a lot of interest in consent, which I think is a very healthy trend, right? How to ask someone out, how to talk about um, how you like someone with your community, whether that be friends or family. So you see a lot of that um, in the younger age. Um, Folks above 15 were actually gathering information about what you can do based on something you've already done. So when it, there are questions that, that are indicating, um, so something like, when should I take a pregnancy test? Um, mm-hmm. Can you get pregnant if your partner pulls out? I miss my period, things like that. You know, like those are sort of the questions we start seeing. I, I don't want to say that these questions are not even asked by younger folks. They are, but I think it's sort of framed in the hypothetical versus situational. Exactly. Right? Yes. So that you can kind of draw those conclusions, but age happens to be the differentiating. Like there's almost like a a change in the tone and the way people are asking, the types of questions you're asking. But yeah, those are generally the. If I could like, I mean, we've got millions of questions. I'm just trying to like synthesize. synthesize. (laughs) Totally. But that's sort of the questions we see. Let me tell you about one of my favorite pleasure product retailers out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you about them. Lion's Den opened its first retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they've grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the US, building their reputation on high quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being, and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They are simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase, in-store and online with code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Here are my top three favorite things I love about Uberlube. Number one, Uberlube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, Uberlube is recommended by leading doctors and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, Uberlube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. What do you know about pegging? If you've seen that one incredible Broad City episode like the rest of us, you probably know that pegging involves a woman, trans man, or non-binary individual without a penis wearing a strap-on dildo and penetrating their partner who has a penis. But did you know that there are actual benefits of pegging for straight couples? I'll share a few with you from an anal surgeon and booty expert at Future Method. Number one, reaching the full potential of one's orgasms. Prostate orgasms are powerful and can often be felt throughout the body. Number two, becoming closer with your partner and adding new dimensions to your relationships. And number three, learning to be submissive or dominating in a new position can be quite difficult to achieve, but when you can master these sensations, it opens the door to new relationship dynamics. Go to futuremethod.com to check out the expert written guide on pegging, and don't forget to use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout for amazing button gut goodies. Finally, we can travel again. 
If you're like me, I bet you want a little pleasure while you're away, but can't fit your entire sex toy collection in your carry-on, huh? Say hello to the Magic Wand Mini. Born into such a famous family, this little wand has quite a reputation to uphold. Challenge accepted. Offering big power, multiple speeds, and unsurpassed quality, the full-featured Magic Wand Mini is more than simply a smaller sibling. It's here to create a legacy all its own. Want to win a Magic Wand Mini for your next trip or staycation? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more. Abortion. It's one of the most controversial issues in our society, right? Wrong. Abortion is popular, and it's so common that you definitely know at least one person who's had an abortion. Maybe you've had an abortion yourself. So why is so much media coverage stuck, portraying abortion just as a subject of political debate and not a normal part of human experience? I'm Garnet Henderson, and I'm a journalist who specializes in covering abortion. On my show, Access, we talk about abortion in every single episode, answering all the questions that you might have felt afraid to ask. There are no pundits here, only experts, including real people who've had abortions. We've covered everything from abortion and religion to the myth of abortion regret to the fact that adoption isn't a real alternative to abortion. And we cover a new topic in every episode. You can find Access wherever you get your podcasts or at apodcastaboutabortion.com. You know, if you're thinking about it, young teens, like I think when I was in public health school, I learned that the average age of first like PV sex in the US was 17, right? So if you're thinking about that average, then it kind of makes sense that 15, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds are saying, I haven't had sex yet and I'm wondering what to do when I want to. Whereas people who are a little older in their young 20s, I already did that. I had sex. What do I do? Um, and so that like timeline totally tracks. But I think specifically around there, there just still to me is so much misinformation about pregnancy and about missing your period and about when to take a test. Like we don't get as many DMs anymore because I think I try to make it really clear like, Hey, I can't answer like every single DM. Like, and I do refer people to Planned Parenthood. Um, and I also refer them to a really awesome app called OK So that's geared towards teens. Um, and you know, it's the same premise where it's like, okay, you can ask this trained group of professionals and they will answer you. And chat text is another another resource that I share with folks. But it's kind of like, no, like the second after you have unprotected sex, you are not going to be able to tell if you are pregnant. Like you need to either, you know, if you're wanting to take emergency contraception, here are these options and here's what that looks like. And here are the percentages of how effective each of these things are. But I just find that there is so much panic, of course, right, around that question. Do you find that with the data that you have, is that something that you try to make as much like a lot of content around or what does that look like for you? Yeah, there are a multitude of ways of asking that question, right? Like if you skin it, if you like trim it down, the heart of that question is, am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Right. Right. Um, and there are literally, I think at this point, probably hundreds of different ways that people are coming in and asking us, right? And so I, I that is what we spend a lot of time, you know, focusing on. but as as we do with consent and all of the other questions. But the ways in which people ask, particularly um, that particular question of, am I pregnant? It stems from so many different ways. And, you know, we just talked through those examples of like, they did some, the pullout method. They're like, missed their period or 
Um, you know, th there's just so many different ways that people are intending to start or their mindset is, is coming from a different place or where they are. Um, so yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to both with the AI and then also our trained educators trying to unpack, you know, whether that is like in a curious state or in like a very high, um, where, where it's timely, right? Where the question to answer needs to be timely, needs to be very non-judgmental. Um, we train both a bot and a human to think about all of those circumstances and contextualize that question as much as you can, right? Um, yeah. And do it in a way that it feels safe and they don't feel like any sort of shame and starting to like open up and get deeper into that, um, to the core of, you know, that question as well. Right. And I guess my, like my follow-up, what I, which I didn't do a very good job explaining, but like, does it make you feel that like th this content needs to get to them earlier? Like that there should be more kind of emphasis for the 14, 15, 16 year olds be like, Hey, you, you might wonder about this in the future. <laughs> and like, here's, you know, extra content on that, that we want to kind of push towards that population. I don't know. It's just, I'm wondering if there's kind of like a reaction, not only to the individual with the right answer, but I'm wondering, does it make us want to uh, push a little further and get there before that even happens? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many different ways to, we, we talk about intervention, right? Like so many different ways to introduce that. And, you know, one of the common ways is sex education in a classroom, but you're not really in the moment at that time. So there are opportunities where you can do that proactively and, and, you know, it, we've tried many different things, everything from like influencer marketing um, to really thinking about, you know, even when they're engaging with Rue, we always have the opportunity of like, we asked, do you want to learn more? And there's, you know, we provide proactive ways for them to keep learning and, and poking and going deeper. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the secret sauce, which is like, where, do, what's the fine line and when, and how do we do it in a way that feels like, this Authentic. is timely, this is appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it doesn't feel like, again, you're just kind of pushing an agenda or pushing anything, you know, towards towards that. Yeah, I imagine like many things, it's like you don't really think about it until it happens to you. And so yeah. it's really hard to get people to care about how to recognize like appropriately what happens when the condom breaks, when the condom hasn't broken yet for them. It's tough. It's really hard to get them excited to to learn if it's not relevant, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you see an inkling of interest, like maybe there's a way to, to yeah, the, there's like so many different experiments that we do constantly, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I would love to transition to AI for a second, artificial intelligence. Uh, for mm -hmm. those of our listeners who don't really know much about AI. I think ChatGPT has entered the chat, so to speak. Um, people are really interested and aware because it's in the news and people are playing around with ChatGPT. And there's a lot of articles about how AI are going to take people's jobs. And you know, th there's a lot of fear, I think, um, along with excitement for AI right now in our current day. And I'm wondering if you can just give us kind of like a, a AI 101 <laughs> lesson and like how it works for Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the definition. So AI is a piece of technology that learns to mimic what humans, quote unquote, think and speak. Um, and how it does that is it processes these large data sets. And these data sets could be code, words, numbers, images, for example. Um, and they process it faster 
than the level of what uh, a human can even, or even large groups of humans could possibly do. And then they start recognizing patterns and make predictions based on um, based on what it's learning. And, and they can do that in fractions of a minute or even seconds. Um, and and I, the easiest way to compare that is like, think about when you had to learn a language or even like a baby learns to talk. That takes years, right, for a human to like be able to um, really be able to communicate and start, you know, mimicking patterns to start uh, feeling like they're having a conversation with someone else. AI can do that in seconds, um, minutes sometimes. Um, and what what that can do, so once, you know, AI has the ability to do that, it can do like so many different things from, you know, you could, it could help you think of a recipe from existing food you have in your fridge. It could write your college essay. Um, it could help businesses scale by um, mitigating some sort of repetitive staff workload um, or repetitive tasks that staff are doing. Um, and, you know, for us, that the, the latter um, piece, which is like, how can we scale by reducing repetitive tasks? You know, we're not interested in being part of the burnout culture. We're actually not interested in that. And so that's why we started exploring AI. Um, so at Planned Parenthood, we're using AI, and I, I would like to say very well, I would add, because we've acknowledged in the category of sexual health, like over, you know, chat text has been around for almost a decade, if not over. And we've been able to monitor like millions of conversations. And we can at this point cover and anticipate the majority of questions being asked. Um, and we can train our chatbot, Rue, to answer, you know, we have a can bank of about I want to say like a range of around 750 plus ish questions. And we recognize that there are multitudes of different ways to ask those questions. And so therefore you start multiplying the possibilities. Like the the question we just talked about, am I pregnant? Like people can type that or simply there's just like a hundred different permutations of that question. And so um, we start, you know, we built on this foundation of 10 years of conversation um, and kind of categorized in a way and summarized like, you know, there's really only a few hundred different flavors of questions being asked. Multitude of permutations, but we have found like the base of it. Um, and that's been like, that's been the secret to our success for how we've used AI. We've, you know, we've been able to um, launch, you know, within a year and a half, we worked on it, we launched it. And I, you know, a year after we launched, we had users saying, we have a 90% accuracy rating. So 90% of users that are asking a question have said, this is, you know, Ruse answered my question to my expectations. Wow. It answered it correctly. I feel like I feel great about the experience too. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I will also say is we don't just let the AI bot kind of go with the flow. We're constantly like humans are actually training the bot, retraining the bot, constantly rewriting rules. Um, and they're actually telling the bot what to say and how to say it. So, you know, our our bot is only successful because of the human com component of it. Um, and we, you know, depending on the, the spike in the number of conversations we have, we have people looking at it multiple times a day to multiple, multiple times a week. And we're looking at it over and over again just to ensure medical accuracy, to make sure that like the tone isn't getting lost as it's like retrain because it retrains itself and then we have to retrain it too. Um, so we're just doing like a layer of double checking. Um, and 
that's essentially like how, you know, going back from what AI does to like what we've been able to do. Um, and the the way that we've been working, you know, our solution for success was just not letting go of it and letting it do its own thing. But we've been sort of, it's like our partner. It's just like another colleague that we're working with and we continue working alongside it. So that's how we've been ever, using it. Yeah. Are you ever surprised by like an answer for, I mean, it's created by humans, so maybe not, but like, is there anything surprising going on on the back end? I think the only thing that has been surprising to us, which shouldn't be, as I say it out loud, given how much time we spent with it, is that I think a lot of people feel way more comfortable talking to a bot than a human than a in human. certain, than in specific, on specific questions, right? And I think it's generally tied to questions that they feel might be stigmatized. Um, so it, re- it allows people to get a little comfortable and just get into the spot where they want to go to versus, um, you know, that's the only sort of differentiation we've seen or something surprising. But um, again, I don't, you know, it's, it's also, we're talking to a generation that is very comfortable and grew up on digital. So I think that's probably their norm and how they feel um, most, like they, they're just well more well-versed in that than in IRL sometimes or with humans. So it feels like a little bit natural to just get into it with technology than a human sometimes. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's been, the, that's been really surprising. Yeah. I'm just thinking about my own use. I feel like I am not of the norm, but I always want to talk to a person. Like if I if I have a customer service issue, right? And like Planned Parenthood's no different, right? If I need a question answered, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it the same way, right? As if I'm whatever on the uh, with the dentist, whatever it is. And I always want to go on the phone, and I always want to speak with someone. And I feel like my partner is always like, "Why are you always like calling people? <laughs> like, don't like that's my nightmare. Like, why would you know?" And I, I think it's it's inter- like, are you someone who likes using bots as someone who is the you know master of them, creator of them? Yeah. Um, that's a, such a great question. I think I am more comfortable messing up. And so when I feel like I'm having a conversation where I'm not an expert, I am so okay to be digital. But when I have to show up as someone that is either like, yeah, you know, in specific customer service situations where I feel like I'm the expert, I definitely want a human. But like when I'm like, I don't, I don't know, like the text friendly, I just don't want to be there. Um, Yeah. And I think I, a lot of it also too, for me, what makes me feel more comfortable on digital is like the timing, you know, so I don't, I don't have a half hour during my day to kind of just get on a a call sometimes. So yeah, I think maybe that's when I would turn to it, but it's a good question. Yeah. For me, I think it's like where my expertise, where my layer of expertise lives. That's when I'm like, I'm going to get on this call, but if not, I'm like, (laughs) right, right. And it's really important again, to point out like the access that people can have with a bot, right? It, I mean, it just kind of makes me think of, have you seen the movie Her with Scarlett yes. Johansson and Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. Like that's happening with us, right? I mean, it, like that, you know, that movie is over a decade old, I think. Um, but, you know, he, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie and want to, <laughs> at the end of the movie, he kind of asks his robot girlfriend, like how many other relationships are you in? And she says like this astronomical number, right? Of like 1,576,000, you know, it's just kind of like, that to me relates to this where it's like one bot 
can be talking with, quote unquote, uh, millions of people at once when like there aren't enough customer service reps or Planned Parenthood (laughs) educators who would be able to reach all of those people. And so I'm wondering, like, other than that, how might the use of AI improve sex education for people of all ages, but especially young people? And is there Mm -hmm. anything that we as users uh, and consumers of content while we're chatting with AI and bots that we should be skeptical of? Yeah. Okay. So I will say what I have seen, as I mentioned to you, right? Like chatbot technology is lowering users' fears in some way. um, And their willingness to discuss information is just far greater than if it were to be with a human. So I think that is interesting and something, you know, if in the area of sex education, there's, there's a there there, that's something to pay attention to. Right. Um, I think the other value add or something to think about as you go into, you know, what I like about the bot too, is you can, you can go to it whenever you need to, which is like that sort of, you know, where we're just talking about what's the right time and the right place this is where technology is awesome because you you just kind of sign on and it's there versus, you know, in a sex education course, you have that foundation and you can kind of refer back to it through memory, but it's, you know, the just-in-time conversation that you absolutely mm. needed. That's the win with tech. I mean, not just chatbot technology, but just technology in general. That's the win. I think the younger generation is just, as we're, we just talked about, is much more comfortable online. And they're uh, adept at it. They know how to do it. You know, we did a research with, um, it was in the height of the pandemic, but it'll it'll be interesting, you know, and we continue to have the same conversations. I remember distinctly a lot of folks we were talking to saying, I feel so comfortable online because there's an edit and a delete button and there's not in real life. And I think about that a lot because I, to me, it seems that they feel like it is, technology is very forgiving, right? Like, you can type in a Google mm. search and it doesn't have to be spelled correctly and you can mix up the words and you're fine or something like that. Right. Um, but when you want to ask that question in real life, maybe you need to know the pronunciation or you need to, you know, so I think there's something there that is deeper than um, that gets to the core of what they're thinking about, which is, you know, they, they're very comfortable in that space. Mm, like less yeah, rejection. All- yes. Yes. Precisely. I think the other thing that they're, all very, very aware of. And I will also talk about something that when we were building Ruth, so, and I never will forget this interview, there was this really amazing junior high kid. And we were talking about, you know, why don't you just search for these questions on Google versus, you know, you're talking to Rue. And he's like, well, what if I'm a president? Like, what if I want to run, run for president and Google knew exactly what I searched for? Like, I don't want to get into that. I was like, you are 12. You are amazing. I do hope you become the president. I will vote for you. Yes. (laughs) Um, But like, that's what they're thinking about, right? Which is like, they know the concept of a digital trail. And I think they're very aware of their data and privacy. And with Rue, as I just mentioned, like you can just, you know, go to our website and there's not a digital, like on the browser, it doesn't show all the questions you've asked or the things that you're thinking about. And so there's that anonymity, we don't collect or ask any personal information. And so I think there's the safeguard that they feel really good about when they're talking through, which I think is different from other chatbots or chat technologies where they are like upfront being like, give me your email. And like with your email, there's a lot of attachment to, you know, what you've been doing. Um, 
so I think that's the thing that I would say people are already like, you know, people are already paying attention to and thinking about. So. And how about yeah. that skeptical question? Is there anything, I mean, you're, again, you're the creator of it hard to, you know, uh, yeah. shit on it for like, you know, criticize it. But I do think that, um, you know, it, it is valuable to consider that as well. Cause I do think there is a lot of fear, um, from folks, uh, just around like, robots taking over, right? And like when we kind of really lower that and talk about it in the context of sex ed, like is there anything we should be fearful of? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I'm skeptical of like the data and privacy pieces, right? Like Rue happens to be one of the bots that isn't collecting information, but there there are a lot of bots that can make it so seamless if you just provide this one piece of information loaded with a lot of information about you. Like you instantly have the opportunity of giving too much away un- unwillingly or no- unknowingly. And so that's the thing that I would, I, I would be careful about. Um, but I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think a lot of people already know that the younger generation, especially the other, I'm trying to think if there's any other, I, I don't think I'm, I'm skeptical of AI taking many people's jobs, but I do think, I think people should look at it as an opportunity as we have, which is like, I'm not think of it as a threat, but like, how can this be an opportune moment to like buy me more time ultimately to be with my family and not do these, this redundant bullshit work that I'm doing, you know? So like, I, th- I think that's the sort of like mindset I would be in um, when it comes mm-hmm. to, to AI in general. But I, I think there's, there's this sort of careful, cautious kind of steps to take, which is like, there's an opportunity where, you know, as we we're doing with Rue too, we're training the bot. Like there's still the opportunity for humans to kind of control um, and think about it, which I think is like the, the exciting part. But I think there's also the other part, which is like you also, there are opportunities where you may, there are holes where you can lose control and you just need to be aware of that. And so that's the skepticism. And that's not different than what we're seeing in the many headlines today too, which is like, how and who sets those boundaries and can we all collectively live in a world where it's like it we focus on the betterment of what AI brings versus the Mm. sort of harm that it could bring interesting yeah I mean that's a good point that like humans run it and humans have faults and uh can be discriminatory and all of those things. And so of course, if they're training the bot, then that's what the bot is going to be. It listens to the human. Uh, I'm wondering what exciting projects you're working on right now, if you want to share any. Yeah. I mean, so innovation's been expanding a lot of our strengths um, to lead transformation work throughout the org. So, you know, the things that we've been mentioning are, are really focused on how we scale what we do. And, you know, a lot of the things we're working with innovation now, especially with like academics and some startups that we're partnering with is really pushing to build social transformation and social impact much more broadly. That takes a little bit more time, right? It's easy to be like 200 million people came to our site annually, but, um, you know, but to change social um, impact takes a little bit more time. So we're spending a lot of time on the innovation team, really thinking about that impact story and like, what does it mean um, to really change um, change for, for the better for social good, essentially? Yeah, that's really, really important. I'm super curious and excited to see how that uh, comes to fruition and what that looks like. Um, 
Ambreen, this has been so fun and wonderful. And like I said, like you have my dream job. So just very cool that I'm able to chat with you. Uh, um, and I'm likewise, I love what you're doing too. This is kind of fun. You get to like hang out with amazing people. All day. I sure do. Yeah. It's really, really <laughs> special. Uh, and yeah, I'm wondering if you can share where folks can find you, uh, you know, where to find these programs that you're talking about and how they can access all these amazing resources. Yeah. I mean, if you go to plannedparenthood.org slash learn, you'll be able to find all of the great resources that we've been talking about. Um, you know, we have hundreds of web pages with all this content and a lot of them link you out to the products that we have. Um, to stay in touch with me specifically, um, I will be posting on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn and uh, stay in touch. I'll be posting about our projects, developments that we're doing in the innovation side and, you know, really thinking about, as I mentioned right now, putting a lot of effort into thinking about impact and measuring impact. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalow. Our producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our associate producer and communications coordinator is Sadie Luigi. Our marketing coordinator is Kate Fiala. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thanks so much to our featured guests, partners, and listeners. Want to partner with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. For exclusive content and to submit an anonymous sex ed question, check out my new podcast on Fridays, Curious Sex Ed, hosted with Mariah Caudillo of Sex Ed Files. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash curiouseed to learn more. See you next time.